Hey, welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and today I am delighted to welcome my guest, Paige Jordan, initially from Scotland, currently living as an expat alongside myself here in Saigon, Vietnam. Today's discussion will cover a few areas, including education, relationships, literature, and more. I'm looking forward to this. How are you, Paige? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Your first ever podcast. First ever podcast. How are you yeah. honestly feeling about it? Uh, a little nervous, but excited. Like yeah. when you asked me to come on the podcast, I was like, oh, do I have something to talk about? And we kind of discussed that a little bit. Like yeah. this idea of people feeling a bit like, a, you know, having imposter syndrome and thinking, well, like, do I really have anything interesting to discuss? But yeah, I think I'm excited to share some life experiences Absolutely. with you today. So. Yeah, and from what we've spoken about as well, I've told you that 95% of people who come on this podcast also say the same thing. Yeah. And I still think the same thing. Even though I conduct so many of these, I think I don't have anything in, anything interesting to say. Yeah. So it still is it's something that I feel like is innate within all of us. And also in terms of our achievements or experiences, it's very easy to downplay what we've achieved. For mm. example, maybe this is because of social media or other areas. You can look at somebody and say, oh, well, they've achieved so much. I've not, but then if you look deeply, you've graduated university, you've moved country, mm. you've made positive relationships, you can really break it down to the minute and think that wasn't easy. It's Definitely. important to like self-acknowledge your achievements. Yeah, it's easy, like we were saying, it's easy to look at the negative things that you're doing and self-criticize and look on social media and see like all these amazing things people are doing. And it's like, well, they have a normal life just like you, like they have the things that they are insecure about and feel is not an achievement as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so. We're all a bunch of imposters walking around, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and we'll dive more into it as the conversation develops. Yeah, but sure. I think you're aware that the first question I ask is always related to the guest background, just mm -hmm. to get a general overview about them. So I know this is a broad question, but can you tell me a bit more about your background in Scotland, i.e. what life was like growing up? Yeah, sure. Uh, I am very lucky and like privileged to have grown up with a very normal, happy, healthy, uneventful in the best way possible life. Um, grew up in Scotland with my parents and my sister and I'm very close with my parents. Uh, the rest of my family are all in England. We're actually English, but I grew up in Scotland since I was uh, four. And so I'm very connected yeah, <laughs> to sure. Scotland. Like I feel Scottish in myself. Um, but yeah, my childhood was growing up with my parents, telling them everything, being open with them, going on holidays in the caravan, uh, like around Europe, around the UK. Um, and I think because I was so close with my parents and so comfortable there, I never really strayed from Scotland. I went to school in Scotland, I went to university, did my undergraduate and my master's in Edinburgh. It's 30 minutes from home. Um, and it, it was always my dream to go to uh, Edinburgh University. Right, and okay. Me and my friend Josie were like, yeah, we're going to go to Edinburgh University and we're going to do literature and we're going to live together. and we both got our rejections on the same at the same time Damn. <laughs> and I remember being so devastated and I was like crying and she was really upset and then I ended up going to Edinburgh Napier instead and that was like the best experience for me I'm so glad that I didn't go to Edinburgh Uni because I think Edinburgh Napier the people there w were just so much more relatable to myself it was I think it was more of a working class like majority there rather right, than sure. Edinburgh University that was a lot of private schooled or international students um, and so I felt like I just had a nice place I fit in well in Napier made some really good meaningful connections uh, eye-opening experiences 
And yeah, in terms of growing up in Scotland, experience in the Highlands is yeah, beautiful. Sure. But yeah, it's it was nice. It was a good upbringing. Yeah. And so then when you move from university, sorry, from I guess your hometown to university, even mm. though it's not necessarily far, say thirty minutes, what was it like having to actually fend for yourself? Perhaps for the first time at eighteen. Yeah, like growing up, uh, I never wanted. Yeah, I was seventeen when. No, yeah, I was eighteen when I started uni, and I was. I never wanted to ask for things from my parents. Like I was very, very appreciative of them and everything they did for me. And going to university, one thing that I didn't ever want to do was like ask for money. And I had all these friends who were getting like their student loan and then they were getting money from their parents and their parents were paying their rent and they had all this money like accumulating and I was not asking for too much and I was paying my rent with my student loans and I was working a part-time job and I'm so glad that my parents like raised me that way though because yeah. I'm able to fend for myself now and live out here on my own and do things for myself and yeah it was university was one of the experiences where one of the first experiences of me being like, oh, can I do this? Can I move away from home yeah. and fend for myself and live without my parents? And I did it and it wasn't hard. It wasn't like, I wasn't homesick um, unless there was like something bad that happened or a bad experience or anything like that. Um, yeah, it, it was good and I was realizing what I was capable of. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for university, it's the first time for a lot of us that we have to be immersed with a lot of people that are very different to us mm -hmm. from different cultures, different backgrounds, etc. And we have to really learn how to adapt and show some empathy in realizing how we can connect with these people rather than perhaps being ostracized from them. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Going to university and going out of hometown and meeting new people. Yeah, it opened up my eyes and going getting out of the environment that I was brought up in and going to university made me realize how much of my identity or my personality or my beliefs were influenced by my parents and my school friend group and my what we were taught at school, which when you're taught in high school in the British curriculum, you're basically taught to regurgitate information, yeah, right? That sure. they want you to learn to like fit into this kind of capitalist society yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Then you go to university and you start meeting new people and learning new things about the world and learning new subjects in, in, the, in classes that, yeah, give you a different perspective. Absolutely. Um, give you a lot of different opinions and you're able to form your own opinions. And I, I grew massively from the ages of 18 to, even now, but like to 24. Mm. Like matured so much, learned so much. What, so. what would be some of the biggest changes, perhaps from, say, page before 18, from page 18 to 24? And what were some of the main developments? I guess, like, forming my own opinions about things and learning things about myself. Um, I think as people were constantly changing, uh, I think for me, one of the, like, when you asked me to come on the podcast, I was like, and this is a very socially sexist socially conditioned thing to think but I was like I don't want to be that girl that goes on and talks about relationships right, but okay. I've had so many relationships <laughs> in my life uh, going through from school to university and I genuinely think that they are some of the things that have shaped me the most and made me learn the most about myself and about other people um, and yeah experiencing that at university when you have to deal with it on your own I went from a pretty unhealthy relationship before I came out here where I was losing a lot of myself and who I was 
um, and I was giving so much and also expecting so much back, like really in mm. an unhealthy way. Um, and going through those different, it was a process of like being very kind of unhealthy and always needing someone to rely on my happiness for and someone to rely on my interests for. And that's unhealthy on both sides for myself and for the other person in the relationship, right? Like yeah, of course. it's a lot of pressure to put on someone. Um, and so, yeah, I was beginning to learn that. And then in university, in my final year, I was about to make this kind of decision that was going to even further move me to another part of the country in Scotland that there was nothing there for me and I was doing it for someone else right, mainly. Right. And I was not happy anymore. And it was a really a moment where you have to realize you need to let go. Um, and I decided, you know, now is the, it's now's the time. And yeah, I just, I think that I really learned a lot about myself through relationships of how to value yourself. And I think one thing that people find very hard, many people, is finding a balance in relationships where you love yourself and you value yourself and you're independent, but you also are caring for someone else and loving someone else. Yeah. And finding that balance is really difficult. Um, and so I think I learned through these experiences, through learning about like different subjects at university even, it all, it all meshes together, all these yeah, life experiences. Sure. And I was learning to, what's my thought there? Uh, Lots of life experiences all coming together, balancing act of say, caring for yourself and loving yourself, but also caring for somebody else. And you were learning to yeah. yeah, learning to value yourself and have your independence. And that, yeah, that was it. Like not rely on somebody else for your happiness. Now I can say that I'm at a point where I'm like in a healthy relationship where I'm able to be independent and do my own thing and have my own interests, have my own passions that I found out about myself through the years. Like through meeting different people at university, I was introduced to, you know, like, uh, old movies and rap and all this stuff that I love now and yeah. all these experiences that accumulated from the people I was meeting and the subjects I was learning, the issues I was learning in literature to what I'm interested in now, um, finding out what my passions are in life. Now I am a whole person for myself. I'm able to be in a relationship with someone else and not rely on them for my happiness. And Absolutely. They're it's just someone there to have your life experience with. It's yeah. great. Like, I think there is like an analogy, and I don't know if I'm using it correctly, about like a full cup and say, mm. if you are a whole person and you are completely whole and comfortable in yourself, then you have that whole cup to give to someone. Yeah. But if you're not, and you've only got half and they've only got half, then issues are going to arise down the line. And exactly. I've learned this the hard way. That once you get to that point, you think we're not really at this whole point that we need to be. And I feel like a lot of this kind of unhealthy, toxic, let's use, either of those words mm. relationship kind of ideology is used within say popular culture with like say songs or movies of like I can't live without you or like I need you yes. to complete me and I'm like no like oh, even like my better half so like, what do you mean your better half like one you're a whole so yeah. you're not a half and two if that's the better one if for one day that person leaves then you're screwed if you identify it that way it's dangerous even the language we use exactly that growing up romance was sounds ironic but romanticized yes like I grew up watching romance movies and reading romance books and thinking that like when you're with someone they are your whole entire world and like everything should revolve around them and you should also be getting that back in return and like if that person so I used to have this mindset of like okay I'm gonna give everything to this person I want the same back and I was continually disappointed because 
you know, that's not healthy to yeah, want yeah. to give that much and get that much back. And I would be like, well, if this person leaves me, what's going to happen? It's going to be the end. You know, it's going to be the end of the world. Like, how am I going to cope without this person? And now I'm at a stage where it's like, no. Now I'm beginning to realize that relationships, like all changes, are very difficult at first. But, uh, well, breakups, sorry. Breakups, like all changes, are very difficult at first. But it's going to be hard and then it's going to get better. And people should maybe look for positives in breakups. Yeah, sure. Even though you feel like you're losing this part of yourself or this thing, this person that's so important to you, what's on the other side of the difficult breakup is so amazing. So many experiences that you can explore and discover yeah. about yourself. Like spend some more time on your passions rather than focusing all your time on someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And also the lessons you learn, like let's mm -hmm. say it doesn't work out necessarily, but that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. That doesn't mean it was a negative experience. All mm -hmm. the lessons that you had during that particular period can be used for the next one or going forward in another area of your life. Yeah. Can I ask you about boundaries related to relationships? Because mm. as we've mentioned, you know, expecting a lot from yourself to give and then from the other person can be quite tricky if you're both on different wavelengths. How important is it to set boundaries of and communicate where both parties are exactly aware of what to expect from the other. Yeah, very relatable to myself actually I would say because with boundaries I think understanding that you are both different people, different human beings with your own path, with your own pasts, with your own futures, you're not, when you're in a relationship that doesn't mean that you become the same person and you have to have the same path and the same values and all the same things. Um, like my relationship that I'm in now is the most healthy I've ever been in um, because we met in Vietnam and when we met we, we you know we were both out of relationships and we didn't want to be in a relationship necessarily and so when we met we knew we would both be leaving at some point and we hadn't planned for this so it was kind of like look if things don't work out you know like both of us are leaving at some point so it's cool if things get too intense we'll let each other know if we want to go and explore other possibilities we just say and we end it there and it's great we've had a good time um, so we always we there was never pressure and expectations from each other and we were always able to communicate and we had that idea from the beginning of just like just tell each other how we're feeling yeah if things start to change that's fine things are going well that's fine we tell each other each other we communicate and it just turned out that we never did want to go anywhere else and stray so um, we've just kept that now and I think that's why our relationship is so successful. Absolutely. Um, doesn't have the pressure and the expectations that previous relationships had. So. Yeah, for sure. And it's also about kind of, I guess the, the communication aspect is so key. For example, having the difficult conversations mm. where sometimes it's not easy. Of course, I don't think it's ever easy to say to somebody, I'd like to break up with you. However, sometimes it's necessary because yeah. for your well-being and their well-being, and I'm sure and this might be stereotyping, there's a lot of marriages that have lasted a long time, but if you ask them, are you genuinely happy or is it just convenient mm. for you to be in a marriage, you'd get some interesting answers. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel like just being honest and having the difficult conversations, even when you're in a relationship, for example, say if things aren't going well and you need to fix them, you have to have that conversation. Exactly. And like noticing when the bad outweighs the good is really important. And that's a lesson that I've definitely learned is, yeah, you can cling, like I've found in, previous relationships that I was 
clinging to the, the good things all the time that yeah. were quite rare and ignoring the fact that I was miserable a lot of the time and that they were miserable or we were making each other upset yeah, and sure. we were clashing or things which we didn't have the same values and we weren't in the same place in life and again me and my partner now are both in a place where we've learned from previous experiences we're both happy in where we are now and I think for me like I, I won't go into details because every relationship has two sides so it's not my story to tell right we both have both sides but previous relationships where like mental health were involved it it's you need to make sure that you are ready in a relationship and I'm not saying that people with mental health problems or depression or severe anxiety shouldn't be in relationships not at all because having someone to help you through that is super important super beneficial but you need to be at a place where you are ready to help yourself and aware that you want to get better before you can be in a relationship with someone else because one you're not going to be giving what you can and also you're going to be expecting too much absolutely like you're gonna that's a lot of pressure for the other person right amen yeah so yeah yeah especially when perhaps the other person doesn't have the understanding or the mental bandwidth or the experience and this isn't mm. like an insult of, by any stretch because of course everyone's mental health journey is different mm. but i also think going back to the making sure that you're you want to get better before getting in a relationship i'm not sure if this is controversial to say but i think a relationship for some people can be a quick fix mm. of just for example i have depression anxiety mm-hmm. let me get in a relationship that will sort it they will sort it for me they won't yeah, because yeah. they're another person and you have to sort it by yourself so it's about really making sure that you are okay and you have the tools to take care of yourself before projecting onto somebody else because you will project ultimately mm. whether you mean to or not and that was definitely one of the key issues from from my past was right. like projecting and like i i put up with that a lot because i was like i want to help you know i want to give mm. i want my i'm giving everything to this and i was letting myself take all this stuff that like it's that's not okay you know yeah, like of course. you can't yeah. just use your it can't be an excuse of course to, yeah. to treat someone differently than than what they deserve and I, yeah I don't think it's controversial at all to say that and I think like we spoke about this earlier like if you say something that you think's controversial you know, oh, I think maybe that was a bit controversial but it's coming from somewhere right yeah, it's coming it from probably your has experience some to it, yeah. yeah it probably mm-hmm. does and yeah exactly I think making sure that you are ready to look after yourself first but yeah. someone else second is important yeah. yeah it ties in with a theme that comes up constantly on this podcast and mm-hmm. i've noticed it from patterns i've seen with people not necessarily romantically but also in terms of their work-life friendships of responsibility mm-hmm. where a lot of things aren't your fault for example if you do have mental health issues they're not your fault like chemical imbalances do happen but it is your responsibility to deal with it now mm-hmm. that can sound slightly harsh at first but it's actually liberating because that means you are the one in charge. You are in the driver's seat. You have the keys. You don't have to rely on your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your partner. Mm. Because if you do, that's very, very dangerous because that person will not be there forever with you. Mm-hmm. Like simple, like things can happen in a day. You know, you have to be very, very careful of taking that responsibility and making sure that you are actually wholly in it for yourself. Yeah, taking ownership, right? It's yeah. very, very important. Um, and yeah, yeah, I've learned that too, for Absolutely, sure. Absolutely, yeah. And also the balance aspect where nobody nobody's perfect so no partner is perfect when i hear phrases like they are the one person etc i think this is my view and i'm not sure if you share this that 
No, I personally believe that we don't have this one soulmate. I think there can be hundreds. Yeah. This is just my view because of different cultures, boundaries, etc. But also the idea of romanticizing, and I've done this before. I'm, I'm guilty, guilty as charged, <laughs> of like romanticizing the other person and putting them on this enormous pedestal yes. and thinking they are incredible and some divine being, and then getting disappointed when they don't live up to that expectation. Mm -hmm. But it was my responsibility for putting them on that pedestal. And it, of course, people have their faults, but it's about seeing what you can put up with. Mm -hmm. For example, if somebody's not very good at timekeeping, to some people, that's not really an issue. They can put up with that from their partner. But if you love timekeeping and that's one of your top values, it will be a huge issue. Oh, yeah. So it's about balancing, you know, the good and the bad and seeing what you can put up with. Yeah, I, I can tell you that I am not a good timekeeper at all. <laughs> no, I'm late for everything. And that's been a huge problem for me in the past. Huge right, problem. Okay. Um, luckily, my partner now is very similar. So okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are kind of like, yeah, I understand because I'm the same. Um, but yeah, that, that idea... When I was younger, I thought that there was, again, because of romance movies and this romanticized yeah. idea, I thought like, yeah, there's there's the one. Like, yep. everybody has their soulmate out there. But I'm the same, I have the same opinion as you now. Like, I think you can love many people in life. And every experience you have with love is different. And it doesn't mean that that person, that wasn't true love that you had. It doesn't mean it wasn't love. It just means that maybe it didn't work out or you yep. grew apart or, um, you know, you had different values in certain things. And you find, yeah, when you're putting someone on a pedestal like that, you're looking for things you have in common. You're looking for the good things and you're ignoring all of the, yep. the signs that things maybe aren't actually going to work out for you. Yeah, and you do get huge red flags. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're right in front of your face, but you ignore them because of just this one area. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. That same idea as I was saying earlier, like clinging to the good things. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. you know, they were, they were really nice to me with this. Or yeah, like, yeah. We like that same, that same movie or like that same yeah. musician. And like, <laughs> for me, yeah, like having like cultural, like in terms of enjoying the same like, movies or music yeah, and stuff yeah. that, that is very important to me okay cool. but like you can't you have to also have the same values in life the yeah. same morals i Absolutely. think yeah. more than anything yeah and when if you have that mindset of the one you nitpick for the good and the bad for example at first you will literally try to find anything good in them yeah you will literally sway it with, they're always like yeah but that's because they care about their appearance so you'd always try yeah. and find a positive but also with the bad where like once you realize they're not perfect you start thinking Oh yeah, they you know they do this and it's just the most minute detail. Like I don't know, they chew slightly louder than yeah. the normal decibel. <laughs> you think how the fuck have you got this together? But you mentioned something there that I'm going to ask quite a deep question now. Okay. You mentioned you have to have the same values. Mm. What are your values? Values. Uh, empathy, treating treating others with empathy, with understanding. Um, you know, like what one thing that is a big deal breaker for me is like if someone's rude to like staff or something like you know like if if you go to a restaurant and they're like rude to the waiter like that's a huge red flag for me and I'll never ignore that ever again and like how yeah being kind and empathetic um are my biggest values like I know a lot of people say like oh I want my partner to be um to have a lot of like goals and be really uh what's the word when you're striving for something ambitious ambitious driven, yeah, yeah driven like I, that's not really my values, to be honest, as much. Um, I think that is important, but just a sense of kindness and caring for others, for me, is the most important values people can have, I think. In yeah, life. absolutely. Yeah. And if you care for people and you look after others, you're going to get that back somehow, like, in, whether it's karma, whether it's just, like, the environment around you becoming positive because you spread positivity, like, yeah. 
that yeah. it's very important for me. Yeah, I think that's huge also in picking the right person, should, not the one, but the right person for you at that certain point. Mm -hmm. For example, otherwise, you can come up with ridiculous ideas of what your partner to be. For example, I, I've met people before, mm -hmm. <laughs> seriously, who want their girlfriend to be like a dancer, also a model, <laughs> but also an actress. And I'm thinking, right, okay, if you find someone like that, what about what they're like as a person? What about their kindness? Yeah. What about their generosity? How do they treat their mum? Like, how do they talk to their mum? <laughs> exactly, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> like, like, the, the important things is like, yeah, but an actress, an actress. I'm like, don't care about what she does on the side, like yeah. what her core values are. So it saves so much, I guess, ambiguity when you actually know, say, two or three things that you will look mm. for in a partner and two, the, the, two or three of the things that you won't be able to stand. For yeah. example, non-negotiable behaviours, yeah, for yes. the good or for bad. Being clear of them helps you so much in relationships. For sure. Like, rudeness and obviously everybody has a different experience, a different relationship with their parents and you know some people don't have a relationship with their parents at all mm. and that's fine but if you do and you have parents who try a lot and you don't respect them I've, that's a big thing for me because I've always been so close with my family yeah family values are important to me um, so that that's there as well yeah absolutely so. yeah it can be tricky across cultures perhaps when mm. families are very different for example the Vietnamese family traditions are very mm. very different to the West where Often in Vietnam, it will be, you bring shame upon the family. Like, the family yeah. name is a big thing. Whilst in the West, correct me if you've seen this, I don't think in England I've ever seen someone bring shame upon the family. Like, I don't think that quote has ever been thrown about. Yeah, I think maybe there's, like, that element of parents expecting a lot from their kids and putting a lot of pressure. Yeah. But nowhere near the level as, as here in Vietnam. Like, yeah. there's a lot of pressure on kids, but also a really beautiful family, like, culture here. Like, people... I don't think I would want to live with my family until I'm an adult and I'm married and we all live together but like family is really important here and people do live with their families for their whole lives and they do things to provide for their families and I think that's a really beautiful part of the Vietnamese culture um, that I really respect and yeah. Yeah, I do want to move on to Vietnam later in the conversation. Mm, yeah. But uh, is there anything else you want to mention about relationships before we explore perhaps your academic and professional life? Yeah, I think one thing one thing that I always get from podcasts, like your podcast in particular, or any podcast I listen to, when I listen to them I always feel like inspired or motivated or I come away with like um some kind of lesson that I can apply to my own life or something I realize about myself. And I would just say like I've been through a lot of relationships. I have a lot of experience, and I'm not saying I'm an, I'm like a professional or you know I don't know sure. you know I'm not I don't know everything, but I do think that people should definitely learn to make sure that they are focused on themselves primarily, um, and learn to be at a place where they are getting their happiness from themselves and from learning about their passions and experiencing for themselves before looking for yes. everything from someone else you Absolutely, know like yeah. and if you're going if you're going through a breakup it's going to be hard it's going to suck at first but like just focus on yourself don't think about them anymore it's gone it's over if it has to be over that's fine and just focus on yourself and know that something better is coming there's so many opportunities for you now and try to look at breakup breakups as a potentially very positive thing yeah, for you in life absolutely reframing the experience where if you mm -hmm. decide to use that as an excuse to lie in bed for two weeks crying about them and checking their instagram yeah you know that that's what you're going to get you're going to get horrible experience but if you use it as an opportunity to perhaps develop a new pastime or a new skill or mm -hmm. figure out another aspect of yourself 
then you can reframe it as one of the best things that happened to you. It exactly. all depends on your mindset. Exactly. Yeah. And you can move forward and like you live with that person without that person before, you can live without them again. Yeah. And like maybe you'll find someone else down the line, but that shouldn't be the first thing. You shouldn't be like, okay, who am I going to find next? You know, yeah. you, you have to like, okay, I'm going to find myself. And I do have this kind of, not a problem with find that term finding yourself because I think we're constantly changing. So, but finding out, discovering things about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Like get out there and discover something new about yourself. Yeah. It's a great feeling. Absolutely. And let's go to your literature mm. studies at university. How come you chose literature? Literature, like English was always my favorite subject at school. Likewise. Um, and I loved, actually I didn't enjoy reading for a long time when I was a kid. My mom always read. She was always giving me books and like trying to get me to read and I was always like, oh, thanks mom. And then I'd never read it and I'd be like, nah. And then I think the first book series that really got me into reading was the Inkheart trilogy. Okay. Do you, have you heard of those? I haven't heard of They them, made no. them into movies. It was like about this uh, man who could write stories and when he read them out loud, they could come to life. And his wife was like sucked into one of the books and the little girl had to then go and like try and explore and find her mom. And, I just loved imagination and creativity and I loved creative writing and like some of the best years of my life were when I was about early high school, maybe like 13, 14 and I was doing creative writing. I was writing these novels and I wrote two whole novels that were like over 200 pages long and they were like young adult fiction. It was like about um, this girl who had like the power of the dragon inside her, right? right and like right. her best friend died, but he was like drunk when he died. So like his ghost was drunk all the time. And it was like this crazy character. And it, there was so much development with all the characters and there was so much background and there were vampires and there were witches. And it's like, that might not be the most like academically like sound kind of literature, but all genres have a something to them. Yeah, all exactly. And you can put a lot of, like if if I go back and read those net read those now, they might be really bad. But I could apply life lessons that I have now, and I could apply social issues to those now. And that's what I love about science fiction, for example. Science fiction is always based on, like most of the time, based on something in life, like politics or culture. And for example, colonialism is often an allegory in post-colonial or uh, in sorry science fiction right like colonialism and culture and there's always gender issues or race issues that are explored um but yeah i loved creative writing and i loved english and i knew that i wanted to do to do something in that and i didn't really know what at that point i just knew that i want that that was my favorite subject and i was going to pursue that at university and i wasn't going to do a subject that i just thought would be practical yeah, yeah. and get me a good job i wanted to do something that i was going to enjoy and that's something that I found my whole life is like, I can't stick in at something if I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Same with work. Like before I could only stay in a job for like two years max if I wasn't something I enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's why I chose. And I can see you're enthusiastic about say writing literature. It was mm. your favorite subject. I've personally found that I also have enthusiasm for something until perhaps I study it, like English, mm. for example. And then the dynamic seems to change a bit because you have to actually immerse yourself and be tested on it and it's not quite as, it, for me anyway, it wasn't quite as fun as I'd imagined. Did you experience that where your relationship perhaps with literature changed from being a student, sorry, from having it as a passion versus when you were a student? 
kind of like it took the pleasure out of reading a little bit um but i really loved analyzing books i love it i love analyzing the themes and the characters and why the author has chosen to convey them in this way and present to us and like what is their purpose like why have they decided to do that what are they trying to convey to us and so i really loved that i loved learning about theory that was my favorite part of university um learning about like race theory gender theory um even psychology how it all is included in literature um and at first when i went to university i got this kind of shock because again with the imposter syndrome i just felt like everyone else that was there was reading like t.s Eliot and uh charles dickens and jane austen and I didn't like that at all. Like right. I didn't like poetry at, at school. Like I'd read Sylvia Plath, but as soon as I read her poem, Daddy, I thought it was amazing and it was like traumatic and it, it made brutal. me, yeah, yeah, it's brutal. It makes you feel like a certain way and it gets emotions. But I immediately, because of that, read her prose. I read The Bell Jar Yes. and I went straight to that. And, but through her, I'd found out like about Ted Hughes, her yeah. husband, who was the poet, not a very nice guy, I don't think, no, but I believe so. <laughs> a, an amazing poet. Yeah. Um, but other than that, and of course, Robert Burns, because that's forced on me in Scotland. Right, okay. <laughs> from, a, from a young age, you're forced to, to learn about Robert Burns at school. I didn't like poetry. Uh, I didn't like 18th century literature. I loved Shakespeare for a while. And then when I was kind of forced to, lear to learn about Shakespeare, I lost my passion for it. So I just felt like I was surrounded by these people who are really loving the stereotypical English literature student texts. Yes. You know, like... Um, and I was here like loving fantasy and paranormal and science fiction and I was like oh does this mean that I'm not a good literature student um, but now I know that not at all like all genres are amazing yeah, and all genres are important are there any main influences for you like any text that you really still look to now as your favorites or your most the most impactful on you personally yeah definitely um, for me, when I did the post-colonial literature module in undergraduate, that was like introducing a whole new subject to me that I didn't know about before. Like we're not taught about colonialism at school in Britain, which is crazy. That's wild. Like colonialism is like the, one of the biggest part of Britain's his history and a lot of European history, a lot of history in, around the world. And um, so when I learned about that, I was learning about like the effect that the British colonialism had on other, cult other cultures and where cultures are now because of British colonialism. Both, yeah, there, there are positive things with colonialism. You can't deny it. There, there are some things, but more than anything, it was not good, right? It was, there were so many, um, you know, taking away someone's culture, causing identity crisis, enslaving all this stuff like that's been so negative um, and yeah learning where other cultures came from I ended up taking that into my masters and the one book that I well one author that I really love is Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie okay uh, she's Nigerian she has three novels uh, Americana which is about a girl who moves from Nigeria to America and this really made me like begin researching more about race and trying to understand other people and other cultures more because you know she moved from Nigeria and 
in Nigeria she was Igbo, which is like the her ethnic uh, identity there, and she so she was Igbo in Nigeria, and then she moved to America. She was no longer Igbo. She wasn't Nigerian anymore. She was not even African. She was black. That's what people saw her as, and she was kind of confronted with her own race. And like, right, of course. it was really interesting to to study that and like start reading about like Franz Fanon and these different theorists who explore the black experience, which we will never be able to understand, right? Like, yep. we'll never be able to fully understand. But trying to is really important. Yeah, and absolutely. So yeah, I in my undergraduate dissertation I looked on. Oh, sorry. She also does um, Half of Yellow Sun, which is my favorite novel of hers, which is about the Biafran War yeah. and pretty much how British colonialism ended up leading to the civil war in Nigeria and the British kind of facilitated the people in the north because they were they had like a lighter complexion and the the weather was nicer in the north and it was all these ridiculous concepts and ideas yeah, sure. from the British side that meant that they wanted to facilitate that region and that was yeah learning about how Britain affected uh, other cultures is what I ended up studying for right, my undergraduate yeah this sounds like empathy because as we're both British we you know we, we obviously at school is perhaps it's overlooked about the dark side of our colonial mm. history and as British I like what you mentioned about that we will never fully understand for example mm -hmm. like especially myself as a straight white male I will never really understand say discrimination but trying to and doing your bit to say empathize or have some kind of understanding and standing with the oppressed rather than just turning a blind eye is so crucial yeah, yeah. exactly and like I think when when we when I did my, the post-colonial literature for my master's we were often asked that question we were made to consider that question like why have we taken this course like what is it and mm. I I just wanted an understanding I wanted to gain more knowledge about other people other cultures and how cultures are influenced and what people go through to get to where they are today yeah. um, and having that understanding and again empathy empathy seems to come up a lot I think yeah having that empathy for others was very important do you still take skills that you learn on this course with you today in numerous settings do some of the lessons from your studies still apply well yeah sure like being in Vietnam in a completely different culture Growing up, I always knew I wanted to move abroad and live in a different culture mm. that was completely different from my own. And just having that understanding that cultures are different and people act differently and yeah. speak differently and understand things differently is really important when you're living abroad because you can't be like, oh, they spoke to me like that. I don't, I don't like the way they just spoke <laughs> to me. It's like, well, you know, it's different. Leave. <laughs> yeah, leave yeah. there. Yeah, it's, it's, you have to be understanding. And I definitely have that all the time in Vietnam. Yeah, that's probably and yeah, that's probably my pet peeve. Sorry, when for mm. example someone will come to Vietnam and complain about either the traffic, the people, the weather. Mm. That's Vietnam. Like, there's no point trying to change it. Like, of course, of course, sometimes I think the traffic is a bit too wild or it's a bit too chaotic. But like, it's Vietnam, and if I've chosen to live here for three, going on four years, I have mm. to put up with it. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I think unfortunately that's one thing I notice a lot about some of the expat community out here is people come here for like the easy life and yes. they come here to like make easy money and they forget about the fact that they've come into another culture that they should be respecting and like, you don't you want to learn about the culture? Don't you want to immerse yourself in it? That's why I came here. I wanted to immerse myself in a new culture. Um, but I do feel like people don't have the respect, unfortunately. For Vietnam, that they should, yeah, in I'd order agree. like for coming to live here. Mm. And you also mentioned that you always wanted to move abroad mm. to another culture. I was the same. 
but the, was this the first country you moved to Vietnam? Yeah, this is the first time I've ever left Europe. Wow. Um, well, same actually. Yeah, yeah, same, yeah. Why was this the first cult culture or country that you decided to move to in terms of immersing yourself? I had had friends uh, who moved to Vietnam previously and one of my friends actually came back and just said it was like the best thing he'd ever done. He lived in Hanoi for a year and he was like, definitely you should do it. This is at the time when I was still in this kind of unhealthy relationship and I was not, I was lost in life. And he was like, you should definitely like do it. It's amazing. And that's, that was the moment I decided actually, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it. And, um, Apocalypse Now also is like one of my all time favorite movies. It's amazing. And, uh, that made me want to come out here. And now that I live here, I realize it's a little controversial because you know, it's purely the American perspective. Similarly to the book that it comes from, it comes from the book Heart of Darkness, which is about um, an explorer who goes, uh, during the colonial era, goes to the Congo and he witnesses like the Belgian colonists there who are particularly brutal. Um, and he sees like the enslavement and he travels down the Congo River to find Colonel Kurtz, right? Um, who's gone rogue, this officer who's gone rogue and he's, you know, made himself like this god in, in the jungle and he's um, massacring people and um, but that book is kind of like exploring the human psyche with Africa as the backdrop and it dehumanizes the African people right and similarly a little bit with Apocalypse Now is like it's exploring this main character's psyche and the Vietnam War as the backdrop and the people the Vietnam people are kind of just depicted as running around like headless chickens and it's mm. like well you know there's another whole perspective that you there have to is. explore there <laughs> <coughs> so um yeah what was the question the question initially was why did you choose vietnam and uh, you yeah. mentioned apocalypse now so yeah, yeah apocalypse now was yeah guilt maybe guilty like yeah <laughs> that was one of the things that really influenced me wanting to come here okay and when you arrived here what were your initial thoughts because obviously first time leaving europe complete world away from scotland and edinburgh what was it like overwhelming like I landed in Saigon and it was like the sounds the noise the smells the like the sheer amount of people and bikes I was like whoa like what have I done what have I got myself into um but you know a few days later that wore off and I never experienced culture shock here which is something I was really scared of like being growing up with my parents and living so close with them all the time I was like what if I come out here and I'm terrified of being without them and I can't live without them and I'm just sad all the time and I can't make friends and that never happened. So it's like that. this was definitely, there's a few instances in life where I've put myself out of my comfort zone and challenged myself and mm. it's really, really paid off. And this was one of the biggest ones, yeah. Absolutely. Moving out here. Since you've come here, I believe you came here, say, February 2020. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So that's just over two years. Yeah, beginning of COVID. Beginning, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great timing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what have been some of the reasons you think why your trip or your journey has been successful? Like, what have you done just time here and your stay in a positive way? Mm. Things you're glad you've done. Good question. I think coming out here initially gave me the confidence to challenge myself a bit more. So challenging myself socially, moving to Hanoi, like moving out here on my own, but then meeting a group of people in the teaching course, becoming comfortable, but then pushing myself out of my comfort zone, moving to Hanoi for a few months, living there alone. It was the first time I'd ever lived on my own, like without flatmates, without my parents. And that was 
one of the best experiences. It was amazing. And I reconnected with an old friend from home and that was amazing. And um, traveling about through the country, uh, I went to Sapa at one point, which was, I went again on my own, my, one of my only, one of my first holiday, solo holiday trips. Yeah. And I didn't stay in the center, I stayed in the mountains in like a homestay. Um, and in Sapa there's still like the tribes, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I stayed with this like tribal family, uh, I guess you could say it that way, and they cooked for me and I stayed in their home with them. And then I went, the, the, the brother of the husband, whose homestay it was, his wife took me on a trek. And me and her, we just went trekking for the whole day. And she spoke quite good English because she was a, she'd become a tour guide and she'd, that was quite um, ab abnormal for the women there to, you know, take a step back from the family structure and find a job in like tourism and learn English. And she did that for herself. And we had really, really interesting conversations about traditions, um, the, the kidnapping marriage, you know that, that tradition I, in the north? I know, I don't actually. It's like, uh, it's like this traditional way of becoming married in the north that she told me about. It was like, if somebody wants to marry you, they kidnap you. And then your parents have to like, her parents would, she gets three days to decide, okay, I want to stay with this guy or not. Uh. And then her parents have to give like a gift or something to... I, I don't remember the whole details, but she was like, luckily my boyfriend at the time was the one who kidnapped me. He uh, like waited outside my house and like, uh, luckily it was him. So she was happy. She had a really happy relationship oh, wow. and a happy marriage. Um, but yeah, we spoke about things that she'd never heard of before, you know, like speaking about like homosexuality, um, trans rights, like speaking about like transgender experiences. She'd never heard of that before. And that was really interesting for both of us to talk about these issues that I was learning from her and she was learning from me. And it was, it was a beautiful experience. And yeah, that was one of the best moments for me moments. in Vietnam. And in terms of, okay, aside from obviously your teaching at say university and here in Vietnam, you're also involved heavily in the charity project Up Global. Can you tell me more about that as in how you started, what it's all about and the type of teaching you do there? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, up Global is a social enterprise that has been formed or founded by my boyfriend Toro Hines and your good friend as well. Um, so I've been there very close to the, to the project since the beginning and it's been amazing to see it form from an idea to a reality. Um, so yeah, UPP, we provide free sports and education opportunities to youth around Saigon. And some of the children that we work with are disadvantaged in some way. Uh, some of our children don't go to school. Um, some of them are in dif difficult situations. So it initially started when Toro was playing at the football pitches where he trains. And there were always these kids running around. They were always there, but they weren't allowed to play on the pitches because you have to pay for the pitches. Right, yeah. And he could tell that they wanted to get involved. Um, and he formed a bond with them. And so he started renting out a pitch and playing football with them. And then things just started happening and he started making moves and coming up with ideas and just going for it. And it was really inspiring for me to watch happen and to be a part of because I was seeing him have these ideas and then putting them into reality without worrying and doubting himself and stopping himself from doing something, which is what I do often. Um, 
so yeah it started with the football classes and then we like designed the football kits made their own the football kits for them saved up some money and bought them all football boots so now when we play they have their socks they have their kits they have the football boots and seeing them wearing it and being part of what is now named UPPFC is really a proud feeling for both us and for them I think they, yeah. they love it and so we train with them every Sunday and it's they've grown so much since the beginning already even in their confidence in their connection with us we have really strong bonds with them now they trust us they trust the new volunteers and but their football too is getting better and a couple of weeks ago they had their first football match and they did so well they didn't win but they came like it was they lost like it was like three two or right something. so it was close so it was close yeah. they did well and last week they were invited to uh, race there was uh, loads of different children's charities around Saigon met up and the children would race each other and any other kids who wanted to be involved and raise money for charity and so our kids got involved with that and they got their own racing tops and their their number for the race and they tried so hard they really went for it and one of our kids came fifth place out of like a couple hundred kids Damn. and yeah he was so good and he was like running running so hard and like <laughs> sweating and panting yeah. but he was so happy and I was getting so emotional every kid that came through that was one of ours I was filming and I was like oh yeah so emotional about it um so just their confidence with that like going out of their comfort zone out of the area that they know and going somewhere mm. on a bus with us going away with the volunteers and doing that um, and then we have another match this weekend and then next weekend is a tournament so it's all coming together for them and they are also um, we get a taxi for them and they go to the English classes that UPP also run um, unfortunately I teach at that time so with UPP I'm not really a teacher uh, I get involved mostly with the football and you know I know all their names I have a connection with them I help them with their uniform like their kits and their shoes and um, I help kind of facilitate the football training and take them at all the events that they go to and things. Um, but the English classes are on twice a week at the Green Bamboo Centre. So the Green Bamboo Centre is a food kitchen. It's a non-profit organisation, uh, but they also have English classes. And Toro and UPP, uh, in partnership with T-Shares, which is another friend's organisation, uh, renovated all of the classrooms or some of the classrooms in the building and you know put new air conditioners in uh, gave new materials made it a better learning environment there um, so our kids are now connected with the kids at the Green Bamboo Centre and seeing them all you know learning together doing these scary but new adventures together um, growing as children is it's amazing. It's I can been, imagine so. It's been like one of the best experiences for me out here. Yeah, this, for sure. this might be tricky to answer. How does it differ perhaps from, say, teaching students at university, etc., versus those who don't otherwise have access to education? How does that whole process differ? Yeah, teaching is uh, fulfilling, but this is far more fulfilling because, like I said, some of the kids don't go to school. Um, a lot of the sporting activities out here you have to pay for. So seeing them, you know, be a part of something is so much more fulfilling than you know teaching in another area um, because we see them I, we saw them before they were a part of this and they were you know they were making the most of their time and doing what they 
had to do, but now they're part of a team, right? And they're meeting other kids around the city and they're just, they're doing things that they otherwise may not have been able to do. Um, and so it's like, it's beautiful and it's more inspiring because it just makes me think, well, you know, if there's something that you want to do, then you should do it. And if you have that idea to do something, go and get it. And, you know, I really want to take the kids to Vung Tao. So Toro and I are talking about ways that we can, um, you know, raise some money with different fundraising events and yeah, take sure. them to the beach. And that would be awesome. Like some of them haven't been to the beach before. And we were like, can you guys swim? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're like, oh, I don't know. Can you really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so extra volunteers there for sure. Um, but it's something I would love to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah, the UPP, I should also mention, is a social enterprise. So we're able to do charity work, but we're also um, able to maybe, for example, sell our own merchandise, which we will begin to do for the first time this weekend. Excellent. Yeah. yeah so um, to people who don't know much about UPP or who do or who are listening, um, it would be amazing if people can support and, you know, buy whatever it is that we're going to be selling yeah, yeah. or um, donate and or just spread awareness because yeah. I see UPP is working with Saigon Gales is that correct yes yeah, this yeah. Saturday we have um, an event with Saigon Gales so they will be teaching the kids how to play Irish football there will be sports activities for the adults there's face painting uh, one of my friends is going to do like a bake sale and so yeah the, the funds that we fundraise for that will go towards future projects or um, different activities with the kids. Absolutely. This mm -hmm. sounds like with UPP, like the whole aim is getting people out of an environment that perhaps they wouldn't previously have an opportunity mm. where they might feel like they're stuck in a situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if this links, but earlier in the conversation we were talking about being perhaps in situations we wouldn't want to be in. Mm. Is it okay if you tell me a bit about perhaps some advice you have for somebody this could relate to your personal life or people at UPP or students, whatever, mm. who are perhaps feeling trapped in a situation and would like to come out of it. Could you give me some insight? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I would say that if you are feeling like you're in a situation that you have even considered that you want to get out of, you've considered it for a reason, right? And if you really want to get out of something, whether it's getting out of bed in the morning or getting out of the house because it's difficult because you're struggling with anxiety or depression, or if it's getting out of that nine to five job that you hate, or out of a relationship that's not benefiting you and your partner anymore, or that's causing you pain, um, open the door, go out. And that's, I say open the door because uh, I've been teaching a poem with my IGCSE students at the moment uh, called The Door by Miroslav Holub. And it's a really nice poem uh, with a mix of doubt and hope and uh, in in the poem there's a line that I really like that is go and open the door if there's a fog it will clear and that sticks with me a lot because I I just think that like everything is going to get worse before it gets better any hard situation that you want to get out of could get worse before it gets better and you know if there's a fog if there's a problem there may be a problem that you're going to come up against there may be a challenge or a barrier that you might want to turn back against but it's gonna clear and it's gonna get better. Um, and there's so much to the poem, but it ends, at least there will be a draft in the last stanza, at least there'll be a draft. And you can kind of interpret that how you like, like uh, at least you tried, or at least there'll be something fresh and new, or at least you'll feel something different than you did before. And 
yeah, that's my advice for someone in a situation. Um, it's what I apply to myself. It's what I've seen with the kids, you know, try something new, get out yeah, there, sure. open the door, even if it's scary, even if it's challenging, you never know what's on the other side and you never know what yeah. opportunities you're going to get. And often it's the fear of the unknown where like just looking at the door can be more terrifying than actually opening it. Yeah. When you open, you think, oh, that wasn't maybe as bad as I thought it would be, for example. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I've never gone skydiving and then this is probably contradictory for me to say, but I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever do it. But like the looking over the edge is so much worse than the experience of yeah. going down and, you know, experience how beautiful that, that may be. Um, so... Yeah, you don't know what's going to be on the other side, but it could be something really great. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. With what you've done professionally, you've been a teacher. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about how you got into teaching? Because was this something that you'd ever planned, like when you were a student, or did it, you just fall into it? Mm, yeah, I actually never wanted to be a teacher. When I was at uni, I was like, I had this problematic phrase in my head that everybody hears at school, which is actually really mean and not, not true. That's like, oh, if you can't do, you teach. And that's what I'd heard at school. And I was like, oh, I don't want to like be a failure writer and like end up teaching. Um, but there were a few moments, I think, that made me want to teach or want to educate or inspire in some way. The first one was in university. We were learning about um, this theorist who talks about signs and things that kind of condition us through life and make us think about the world a certain way. And we were looking at like the effect of media on us. And on the front cover of this magazine was like, at the time, like Channing Tatum's wife or something. And someone was like, isn't that Channing Tatum's wife? And the, the lecturer was like, I don't know who that woman is, but I can tell you everything about everyone in this book. And she had this like massive book with Bible thin pages about different theorists and criti critics and writers. And I remember being like, I want that, like I want to be like her. And it really inspired me to try and get as much knowledge as I could about the subject I was passionate about. Um, and so, yeah, that made me want to teach and inspire others. And then I guess the other thing that I learned a lot from in my first teaching experience, um, I, like I'd, I'd helped with the ASN support at school, like the assisted needs support, I'd helped with um, teaching children a little bit. Um, but this was my first experience and it was in fourth year of university. We did a crime in text and film uh, module. And so we studied like uh, Charles Dickens looking at like the children because they're pickpockets, right? We looked at the film Monster about Eileen Warnos, who is a female um, serial killer. She killed like seven or eight men. Um, she was a prostitute in Florida and she murdered some of her clients basically. And then another one was about Elias Grace, who was an um, Irish um, immigrant who killed her um, employer. And I don't remember all the details of it, but basically at the end, there, she went through this trial and basically at the end it came out that she had like multiple personalities. And so she was pardoned. And we were basically learning on this course about people's experiences. And like Eileen Warnos, for example, in the movie Monster and in the media, in the media, she was portrayed as this evil monster, um, this like ruthless killer. And sure, like, yeah, she did kill people and maybe she was a monster in many eyes, but if you actually look into her past, she has a huge history of abuse, rape, trauma. Um, and the same with the kids, the pickpockets, they're doing it because they have nowhere else to yeah, go. They're yeah, orphans, yeah. they're 
Um, Elias Grace, she had multiple personalities, she did something unknowingly. And yeah, on this course, we got the opportunity to um, apply for a teaching position at Sutton Prison in Edinburgh. And this was another one of my experiences of where I stepped out of my comfort zone and I applied for something I didn't think I would get. I had a lot of self-doubt and I was like, this sounds too good to, to let up. Like, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. let my insecurities about not getting the position um, hold me back. If I don't get it, I don't get it. If I do, I tried. And I got it. And it was me and two other people, I think, on our course. And we went and taught English at Salton Prison for a few months. And I was teaching male sexual offenders. And um, that was a crazy experience. It was really, really amazing, actually. Um, because, you know, I was meeting these men who were super polite, super friendly and kind to me. They were all working on different things. So one guy was writing a personal memoir. One guy was doing open university. One was writing a screenplay. One was making letters to his children. He would like make these beautiful designs and write these lovely like letters to him, to his children. And like, I would help them in various ways. One was doing research on like the Soviet Union uh, and writing a research report. And I was helping them. And one thing that really struck me was reading one guy's memoir and seeing the experiences that he'd gone through as a kid of abuse, mm -hmm. finding out that he uh, realized he was gay and being um, disowned by his family and disowned by his community and going into like prostitution and going into taking drugs to deal with the experiences that he'd had, having to rob to get the money for the drugs and everything leading up to the point where he also made that bad decision yeah. to abuse because that's what he knew, you know? He grew up experiencing abuse yeah. and that was almost normal for him. And people, that made me really, again, empathy, made me realize really that people do bad things because bad things happen to them. Absolutely. And teaching and learning about empathy with teaching, that was a beautiful experience. It wasn't just about teaching them how to write in English or teaching them how to follow a, a narrative. It was about connecting with them and helping them put their experiences into something positive. And, you know, we learned about Michel Foucault, the theorist who does uh, Discipline and Punish. Right. And it looks at like the penal system and how like um, punishment makes people into these docile bodies that then go out into society again and can contribute to the capitalist machine. Um, and this was a really good experience for me of rehabilitation these guys were being rehabilitated they weren't being punished they were learning how to acknowledge what they did and their experiences and realizing you know maybe i did something like that because of where i came from and what i did is still very wrong but now i've learned that it is wrong and then right, i won't yeah. do that in the future absolutely yeah i mean i think we are more than just say teachers of say the english language or of a certain mm. topic like we genuinely do connect with students mm -hmm. about things that when we before we enter the classroom have no idea and it just develops over time and it's just a set of moments where for example you'll be reading a student's memoir or looking at their creative outlook and you think wow this person's a person rather mm -hmm. than just a student just that connection makes me really appreciate the art and the value of teaching a lot more than I expected yeah definitely everyone is human we are all these like lumps of flesh and bone walking around on the universe trying to figure out what life means and what yeah. everything is and everyone makes mistakes. Everybody has to go through experiences and education, like you say, like 
education isn't just like the education system, it's life education, it's life experiences, learning from mistakes, learning from events that you go through. Yeah, that's um, why, for example, concepts such as shame, guilt, judgment don't sit well with me. Have you heard of yeah. uh, Johan Hari, Lost Connections? Ah, I've heard of the... Is it's not the same writer that does uh, Sapiens, right? No, no, it's a different guy. That's Yeovil yeah. something Harry. Harry must be a great writer. <laughs> Similar name. <laughs> <laughs> if you're called Harry, you're great at root books. But yeah. um, Johan Hari writes about um, lost connections, which is the reason why we've become so depressed in the last 15 so years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of his research, and I, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember the exact stories, are that shame and guilt really, really, really affect people worse than we believe. For example, mm. drug addicts. I believe that in certain countries, like, if you were a drug addict, you are comp you are shamed. You're meant to go out wearing a tag saying, I'm a drug addict, almost completely shaming you. But in other countries like Portugal, instead of doing that, they would help to rehabilitate. So for example, mm. give them hobbies to do or give them some kind of purpose. And from that, suddenly they went, they decreased hugely, the amount mm -hmm. of drug addicts as a result. And I think, same with perhaps prison inmates, giving them that shame and that stigma and guilt will just continue to make them go down that path because that's all they know. Whilst mm. if you give them a, another way out, another opportunity as a teacher, they see the other side and they can rehabilitate themselves in a more effective manner. Yeah, definitely. Have you changed perhaps Paige as a student versus you as a teacher? Like, mm. What are the differences? I would say that learning from my experiences as a student have shaped me as a teacher. Like, and well, the first thing I would say is that I'm still a student, right? I'm still learning every day. I'm still learning new things. Um, but my experience at school, I was not a a very very good student I was like a golden child at home like I was always well behaved at home but at school I was English and I was ginger in Scotland and I was you know I had to find a way to fit in uh, right, and yeah. I was the class clown and um, the the classes that really affected me positively were the, the teachers that I really had a bond with and that got on well with and not punishing me all the time and um, you know the ones who used like positive reinforcement and really tried, tried to understand me and so from going from a student to a teacher I'm trying to enforce that too like having my students and building really meaningful rapports with them, um, tailoring as much as I possibly can to their interests. Um, so I went from ESL which was great, it was a great start for teaching for me but it wasn't fulfilling enough because I wanted literature right, I was craving literature and so now I'm in this job where I'm teaching literature and it's awesome, it's amazing. And I'm trying to tailor the lessons, it's tutoring, so it's one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to tailor the, the lessons to the students' interests as much as possible so that they can, you know, enjoy it. I want them to enjoy literature, I don't want it to be a chore. Yeah, absolutely. I want it to be something that they enjoy and that they know they're in a safe space with me and that I care about them. Um, and I genuinely feel like my students care about me too, you know, we have like good, good bonds. Um, but like, for example, I have this one kid who's obsessed with Naruto and Attack on Titan, and so am I. So it's great, <laughs> it works really well. Yeah. And like, if he's not understanding something, you know, there was a time where he wasn't understanding like um, uh, internal conflict right, okay. and character development. And I was trying to explain to him and he wasn't getting it, wasn't getting it. And then I was like, how about, okay, let's think about Naruto. Like, who in Naruto would you say is someone who has inner conflict in terms of you know they're trying to make a decision they're trying to follow a path and they don't know which one to choose they're going back and forth between their values and then they finally make a decision that changes them uh, for the good or the worst and he was like oh 
Sasuke or Sasuke ah. and I was like yes I was like yes you've got it and I was yeah, like yeah. how and you have to ask these leading questions right you yeah. can't give them the answers and I was like how is Sasuke or Sasuke uh, like how is he having inner conflict he was like well you know he wants to get vengeance and revenge on his brother but he also has friends like Naruto and he cares about them and he doesn't want to be evil but then he does make the decision to be evil and, and I was like exactly and he was like oh yeah that's the moment that he changes like that's and I was like and that's what you call character development yeah, he was excellent. like oh Damn, <laughs> yeah. mic drop. and Damn. He, he was only like year five or year six but I have this year nine student too who also loves Naruto and we're studying Lord of the Flies right yeah which yeah. I also studied at school yeah likewise and yeah and it's about you know uh savagery and inner darkness and he just we were trying to understand this at one point the themes and the symbolism of the character Jack who kind of becomes savagery and there's a certain point in the book where he's still he he wants to kill this pig but the idea of killing it and the blood and the all of that stuff like civilization or rules and restrictions from home are still holding him back but he still has that inner darkness he wants yeah. to go for it and we were trying to understand that idea and he was like teacher um Miss Page, I have a I have a thought and I want I want to share it and I was like yeah go ahead like what is it and he was like it's about Naruto particularly Sasuke and I was like okay yeah go he was like I just realized that similar to Jack Sasuke also has that moment where he is not sure if he wants to be good or bad and then he makes the decision to be evil and he identified this moment in Naruto right, okay. where that happens and I was like yes like, I was like on you go yeah, like do yeah. it and he's year nine and they're still you know yeah. I think kids, if they enjoy what they're doing and they can relate it to things that they love, that's the best way to educate. Yeah, for absolutely. Me, yeah. I did a podcast on Monday with um, someone who you know about inquiry-based learning. Mm, and that mm -hmm. was when, going through that whole concept, I was thinking, yeah, of course, this is like the future of engaging with the children. Because yeah. as a public school teacher, I can get fed up and frustrated with this model of you say, uh, sorry, I say, you do, write this down. Because mm -hmm. inevitably you see boredom. And even that seminar that we were at, where it was the question of um, why are we doing this, teacher? I get asked it and I'm like, what do I say? Because you have to. I have yeah. no other, like, I can't actually say, but if they can get on that level, for example, relate them to, remind me of the character Naruto? Uh, Sasuke. Sasuke, yeah. Mm -hmm. Perhaps Sasuke or Naruto, or that kind of, whatever they're interested in, it makes all the difference. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, that idea of just regurgitating information. And I still, like, my, my students are all international students, um, which... I, when I first came here, I didn't want to be teaching, you know, like rich international yeah, students. Yeah. I wanted to be helping and making a difference with children who really needed it. But like, I, this does give me the opportunity to have like really deep, in-depth, intelligent conversations in English about deep themes that I maybe couldn't do in an ESL class because the language is not quite as yeah, it's not you know, quite as advanced to that point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that idea of like, why are we doing this? Is kids might not understand it but if they're with inquiry-based learning if they're fine if they're asking the questions and finding out the answers for themselves mm. that's yeah it's, it's more interesting for them they have a, a purpose for why they want to learn about that thing of course and why are we doing this can I flip that to you why mm. are you doing this as in your work with teaching why are you a teacher and what drives you and like not necessarily teaching kids but like trying to inspire kids like with literature Having a passion for literature has opened so many doors for me, not just for a career, but like in my mind. I've, I've learned so much about different cultures. You know, I didn't take history in, in school 
again with colonialism, I didn't learn about colonialism in high, in high school. So literature has allowed me to learn all of these things that I didn't know before. And like, I want to inspire kids to enjoy literature um, so that they can, you know, learn new things, not just about English language, but about social issues, um, learning about empathy, learning about cultures. Um, yeah, that, that's why I do it more to try and inspire the youth, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And um, the next question is coming towards the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And the question that I always pose towards the end is always broad. And mm. it, this can relate to perhaps your teaching, your education, or your literature, because you mentioned when you were 13, 14, the two novels you had. Mm -hmm. Would you ever publish them? Definitely. Uh, I forgot to tell you like the really depressing and devastating part of that story though. Okay. So I wrote these two novels and then I tripped over my laptop one time, lost them. They're gone. Damn. Yeah, man. But you still have them in your mind, right? Still have them in my mind, but one thing that's really sad is I don't think I'm quite as creative as I used to be. Okay. And like, I keep, I'm, I'm at this point now where I have this craving to write, but I have this kind of self self-consciousness right, that's holding yeah, me back yeah. and I haven't been writing and but I'm at a point now where I really need to write I really need to start writing again and I'm like oh, I could rewrite that but I know it's not just not going to be the same yeah so I'm trying to figure out trying to go home for summer potentially so if I do go back I'm going to try and find that laptop and see if they can take the hard drive out or something yeah, yeah. and yeah man if I manage to get those stories um maybe do them up a little bit yeah, yeah they'll, sure. they'll definitely need some touching up but if I felt like they were publishable, for sure I would do that. Get them out. Definitely, yeah. that would be awesome. And what else would you like to achieve perhaps in the near future? Say if we had this conversation a year from now, Paige, mm. what would you like to have achieved? Wow. Um, I think right now I am happy to stay in the job that I'm doing because I'm learning so much. I've learned so much in the past like nine months from this job, from teaching literature, relearning stuff about literature, that I'm really learning a lot. So in the, in the next year, just continuing to learn. Um, I wanted to try and get my qualification to teach at the international schools because that kind of gives me the opportunity to, basically I just never want to move back to the UK. Right, okay. So if I move anywhere, I'm happy. If I'm teaching literature yeah. and um, going abroad and teaching in international schools, that gives me the opportunity to live in different countries. Um, and I, I did have it as my goal to be a lecturer for a long time and I was here in Vietnam I was lecturing yeah. literature and that was amazing that was great I was teaching like modernism to Vietnamese students who never learned literature before um, and I don't think I want to do that in the UK anymore because it involves like publishing a lot of like articles yeah, and yeah. things like that where I maybe not over the next year but maybe over the next five to ten years I want to start trying to pursue more of my dream job rather than like right now this is my dream job because it's working out but I have like bigger mm. ambitions that I'm too scared to try and achieve right now. Right, okay. Um, I'm in no way working towards that yet um, but maybe I can go and do another master's in the area that I want to yeah. work in and who knows, maybe that I'll have my dream job in 10 years, that would be awesome. Yeah. I hope you do, yeah, I look forward to seeing yeah, how this yeah. develops. Has there been a question that I've not asked you that you would have liked me to or that you expected me to ask you? Mm. Interesting. Oh, that's a hard one. It's tricky, right? <laughs> mm. I guess like what would be my dream for the future, my dream job would be the only 
thing that I haven't really spoken about much. Yeah. What would um, be your dream job, Paige? <laughs> movie director. Excellent. I would love that. That nice. would be awesome. Uh, more than literature, I love talking about movies. Yeah. Like, even more than books. Wow. Uh, I love reading about different directors and finding a director and following all of their work and finding, you know, the way they use colour to convey a, a mood or an atmosphere, the same way that they do in literature. Um, how does a, a director use characters and colours and cinematography, I love cinematography, um, to convey like a, a mood and to affect the, the, the audience. Um, so that would be my dream job. I guess the only question, that's the only reason I would want you to ask that question is because I love talking about Excellent. it. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Have you got any final messages, any final thoughts? We've covered a lot, by the way, but you know, if you want to like wrap up with anything, is there anything you'd like to add? Wow, the pressure of the final, the final Yeah, words. yeah, it's one of those you think, damn, um, this has got to be big. <laughs> yeah, I guess like, is it going to be something, is it going to be advice or is it going to be like a final takeaway? Um, I think what I've noticed about this conversation that we've been having is that empathy comes up a lot um, and I think learning about other people as much as you possibly can in life, putting yourself out of your comfort zone and going somewhere different. Like if you've grown up in your hometown, you're still living there, like get out, like go and experience something else, go and learn about new people, new places. Um, because I, I can assure you that if you put yourself out of your comfort zone, you go and see what you're capable of doing and you take risks you will learn so much about yourself and you will discover so much about yourself. Um, I get a lot of people asking me like, oh, should I go to Vietnam? Should I do something like you're doing? And every time I'm like, one million percent yes. Like, it doesn't need to be Vietnam, anywhere. If, you, if there's something that you wanna do, do it. Because one thing I've learned out here is if, you, if there's something that you want to achieve, you're never gonna do it and you're never gonna achieve it if you don't try. Yeah. So. Even if you try it and it doesn't work out after three months, you're giving yourself three months, try another thing. Like, mm. Just try something is the key. And yeah. it might lead you into your perfect direction, just doing something. It's exactly. better than just sitting at home wishing you had the confidence. You yeah, know? yeah. don't get stuck in your habits. Yeah. Don't get stuck in your comfort zone because there's so much more out there. There's so many better things out there past the comfort zone. Absolutely. Just got to cross that bridge. Just crossing the bridge and there we go. Mm -hmm. Excellent message to end on. Paige, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you so much, Connor. yeah.